0: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick.
1: Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. And some people have that misguided notion. They think, well, I'm just gonna do whatever I want to do because it's just between me and Jesus. No, it is not. And people need to get this, because I know too many people who don't get this. I think it's just about me and Jesus. It's, what, it's whatever Jesus thinks is okay, and I have a clear conscience about, that's what I'm going to do. Now, you've got to ask these questions. And the third one is, well, wait a minute. In the exercise of my freedom, could it damage somebody potentially? Could it be a bad witness to somebody, even though I know it's cool? If they have a problem with it, I need to take them into consideration. This
0: is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. There are areas in life where there are no black or white answers. Each believer needs to decide for themselves if an action is permissible and beneficial. Also, you need to consider how your actions will affect other people. In today's message, Pastor Gary urges you to think about how your actions will come across to others. You might be able to stand before Jesus and have a clear conscience for your efforts. But if your actions have the potential to be damaging to another, you need to think again. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. In
1: chapter 8, here's the third question that he, that he asks in verse 9. Be careful, however that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. So here's the third question. Could it stumble others? Does my freedom have the potential of stumbling others? Now, this is, this is a very challenging question because, again, it means that your Christian faith is not just exclusively about you. And some people have that misguided notion. They think, well, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do because it's just between me and Jesus. No, it is not. And people need to get this, because I know too many people who don't get this. I think it's just about me and Jesus. It's, what, it's whatever Jesus thinks is okay, and I have a clear conscience about, that's what I'm going to do. Now, you've got to ask these questions. And the third one is, well, wait a minute. In the exercise of my freedom, could it damage somebody potentially? Could it be a bad witness to somebody, even though I know it's cool? If they have a problem with it, I need to take them into consideration. Your faith is not limited To your own bubble, your faith should be something that you live out with the potential of it either being a catalyst to bring someone to Christ, okay? This is what your faith will always be, either a catalyst to lead somebody to Christ, to point them in that direction, or it will be a stumbling block to somebody from coming to faith in Christ. And perhaps they are already in Christ, and they're just a new believer, and now the exercise of your freedom has caused them to just, you know, wig out because they don't understand why you're able to do what you're able to do. And so we need to remember that it is not our right to exercise our freedom if, in the exercise of our freedom, it will cause other people to stumble. And Paul says here, he says, you know, in essence, they are spiritually weaker Because he says, they don't have the, in this context, he goes, they don't have the knowledge that, you know, all this meat is A-OK, it doesn't really matter. You know, if, if somebody offers you today, if they offered you a steak and said, you know, before I gave you this steak, you know, I offered it to Buddha, you could care less, right? I mean, if you know Christ, your only question is, you know, how can I have my steak done? You know, you, know, you don't really care that it was offered to Buddha. And so, but, but yet at the same time, he says, but because there's some weak people here and they don't understand that it's okay, don't, don't eat it in front of them. You know, don't, don't puff up with knowledge and say, well, I know, I know the food is okay. And it's a shame that you don't, but I'm going to eat it anyway and chow and down, you know. Recognize that the better thing is that love builds up. Sometimes people in the exercise of their freedom have put more value on their rights than they have on other people. And so this whole section here is is about that. He says in verse 10, for if anyone with a weak conscience sees you who have this knowledge, eating in an idol's temple, because at that time they had some of the meat markets there by the idol temples, won't he be emboldened to eat what he has been sacrificed? What has been sacrificed to idol? In other words, he's going to see you and go, well, "I guess it's okay." But then he'll eat. He doesn't have a clear conscience. You do now. His conscience is violated. So he says, "When you sin, notice what, it, what he calls it. It's a sin." Verse twelve. Well, verse eleven. So this weak brother for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. Verse twelve. When you sin against your brothers in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again so that I will not cause him to fall. This is being sensitive to other people around you, not knowing where they might be in their faith or if they have faith at all. Remember, uh, when we were back in Romans, and you can turn back, it's only a couple of pages, otherwise I'll just read it. Back in Romans chapter 14, um, Paul was emphasizing this in his, in his letter to the Romans as well. In Romans chapter 14, uh, verse 13, he says, Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is unclean in itself, but if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. Okay, it goes back to this whole conscience thing. If, if you have a clear conscience, great. If somebody sitting next to you doesn't, then th- they have to be true to their conscience. He says in, in Romans 14, 15, If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Later down, Romans 14, 19, he says, Let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, or drink wine, or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. Okay? Everybody get this? So it is important to recognize this. Um. You know, again, in some of these areas where, you know, how much is too much, what is right, what is wrong, on the whole topic of alcohol. Um, and, and Paul mentions it there in Romans 14. We, we have to be sensitive that you might have that freedom, but somebody you go to dinner with may not. So, you know, don't, don't assume, ask. If you want the liberty, and you're having some, you know, dinner, and you want the liberty to have a glass of wine with dinner, and you have... You have friends over, you're out at a restaurant, ask. Would you be offended by this? And if they are honest and said no, then fine. If they are honest and say yes, then at that point, you should give up your, quote, freedom for the sake of your friends. That's the way it works. All right? There's a fourth question. Go to chapter 10. I know we're skipping around a little bit, but I want to put all this in context. Our freedom. Fourth question in chapter 10. Verse 23, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible, he uses that phrase again, but not everything is beneficial, everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Not everything is constructive. Now, if you have a New King James or an ESV, it says, but not all things edify. So that's the fourth question on our list. Does it lack edification? And specifically, he's asking in terms of other people. Will this build other people up, or or will this have the opposite effect? And so it is an important question to ask. Does it lack edification? Again, if we answer yes to any of these questions, we are misusing our freedom. And so we have to recognize that in regards to this last question, our aim should be to build others up. That the Christian faith is not about seeking our own good, but also about the good of others, and primarily about the good of others. So be others-minded, be others-centered, and make sure that what you do in the exercise of your freedom is beneficial, doesn't control or master me, would not stumble others, and at least would be edifying of others and would not lack Edification. All right, go back here to chapter 9 now. See if we can race through chapter 9. So Paul is going to now use some examples here about his own personal freedoms that he doesn't exercise, uh, just to give them an example of his own story. And at the same time, he's going to defend his apostleship, because apparently some are questioning, do you really have the authority to talk about all this, Paul? And so he's going to use himself as an example of freedoms and rights that he gave up, At the same time, he's going to be defending uh, his ministry as an apostle. So chapter 9, verse 1, he says, Am I not free? No, I have freedom, in other words. He says, Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? Even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay, remember, Paul founded the church at Corinth, and he spent 18 months there ministering to them, building them up in their faith. So he's like, you know, I I was with you for like a year and a half. Do you not know that I'm an apostle? And he says in verse 3, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? Now, the argument he's going to make here is he has the right as the apostle that founded their church to be supported by them. The fact is that he's not going to be supported by them. So he's going to use this as an example. I've invested in you. I've poured my life into you. I never took a dime from you. I had the right to do it. You could have and should have supported me, but I chose not to have you support me financially. And I worked instead to support myself so that I would never be a burden on you. But I could have exercised my rights. So it's going to be an example here how he gave up his own rights. He says... He says, this is my defense to those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and drink? In other words, at at your expense, okay? He says, don't we have the right to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? That's Peter. Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? He says, you know, basically says these other guys bring their wives along and the ministries where they serve support them and their families, their wives, um... He says, you know, Barnabas and I, we chose not to work, but we could ask for support from you as well. In verse 7, he says, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk? Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, this is in Deuteronomy twenty-five, four. Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain. Is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, They ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Okay, so pause for a moment. So he's basically using examples. He says, look, you know, the the farmer um, sows a vineyard and is able to eat grapes from the vineyard. A A shepherd is able to, you know, eat of the flock. Um, and then he uses the example here from Deuteronomy twenty-five, four, that even when oxen were used to trample out the grain, they wouldn't muzzle the oxen. They would allow the oxen to eat as they were working. And so Paul's using this as an example. He goes, you know, I have the right to ask you to support me materially. You're the church I founded. You're the church I invested in. You could invest in me. I have the right to do this. But now he's going to give this as an example of, okay, but some freedoms we give up some rights we give up for the benefit of others. He says, next next verse, he says, but we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar in the same way the Lord is commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. I have that verse underlined in my Bible right there. <laughs> those who preach the gospel should have their... That's because of your generosity that the pastors are supported here. Because as we teach the gospel, we receive support from those that we are ministering to. That's what he says here. It's, it's all part of, uh, of the way that God desires it. So he goes on in verse uh, 15. But I have not used any of these rites... Now, see, I'm not that spiritual, so I I have to use that right. He goes, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me. I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of this boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. And, you know, honestly, those of us who feel a calling in ministry, we understand what he's saying here. It's like, you know, are there other things that we possibly could do? Possibly. But if we don't preach the gospel and we have a calling on our lives, then, then woe to us. And so he, he's taking it personally, as all should who are, who are in ministry. In verse 17, he says, If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make use of my rights... In preaching it. Okay, so that's his whole argument. He's like, you know, I again I, I'm not taking anything from you. I could, but I, I give up my rights because I don't want anyone to feel like I'm trying to take advantage of them by asking you to support me. I could, but I won't. All right? If somebody's in a position to do that, it's a wonderful thing. I, I heard years ago that Rick Warren, after a pastor of Saddleback Church in California, after he wrote The Purpose-Driven Life, he made so much in the royalties that he decided no longer gonna take any any uh, salary from his church and so you know that was a personal decision that he came to and you know god bless him for for uh such a a lucrative book deal um i i haven't written a book and so i uh, so i I don't i'm not exercising that that privilege there anyway let's move on Um, and so now verse 19 he says he says this though i am free and belong to no man i'm free in christ he says, I make myself a slave to everyone. Note this. To win as many as possible. Notice how just consumed he is here, in a good way, with others. How focused are we on others? Is our faith just about us? He says, I'm free, but I make myself a slave. I do whatever I need to do to win as many as possible. He gives some examples. Verse 20, to the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Now, he is a Jew, but what he's saying here is he would still participate in some of the feasts because he knows that in this way, he'll be relatable to his fellow Jews. He goes on to say to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law so as to win those under the law. He has a heart for his fellow Jews. They're strict according to the law. And he says, I I, I wanted to be careful with the commandments of God so as to not offend and to be relatable to my fellow Jews. But notice in verse 21, he, he even says, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. I love that verse. I've become all things to all men, so that by all possible means, I might save some. By the way, notice the word some. He has no illusions that he's going to win all to Christ. He knows that... There will be some who will come to faith through his influential life. And the same is true for you and me. Now, this is not a, this is not a game. You know, we, we know people, right? I hope we're not one of these kind of people. We know people who, they just become a chameleon. And wherever they are, they just become like everybody else just because they want to fit in. That's not what he's saying here. What he's saying is, and if you, if you want to write in the margin of your Bible, that faith often comes because you are relatable through relationships. Relatable through relationships. Okay, he's, he's not saying, I change like a chameleon to adapt myself to whatever environment, and therefore I become compromising to just be like everybody else so I can be everybody's buddy, and I can be all politically correct, and I can be accepted in whatever circle I go to. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying here is, though, he identifies with each person that he has the opportunity to befriend and he just connects with them on a level that would be relatable. We have to stop this mentality of pious Christianity, of walking around like, I'm too good for you, I'm too cool for school, you know, and I don't, I don't want to associate with you, okay? And they might be totally different, but those are the people that we're called to reach. So we can't have this mentality of exclusiveness, of just, you know, it. Of being so removed from the world that we no longer know how to relate to it and connect to the very people who need Christ that you have. So he says, you know, when when I'm when I'm with the Jews, I I relate to them as Jews. When I'm with Gentiles, I relate to the Gentiles. I, I don't compromise myself, I don't do anything that would bring shame to Christ, but I am going to relate to them on some level where I can connect with them and thereby connect the cross of Christ. I hope that in your relationships and in your friendships and your influence with coworkers and and neighbors and that you find some entry point in their lives that does not cause you to compromise but allows you to connect. Okay? Connection not compromise draw the line there and realize, okay, when my conscience and the commandments start to get violated, then, you know, no more connection. But at some point, we have to find an entry point of being able to be relatable enough that people will actually want what we have. Not in a salesman kind of a way, but just in a genuine kind of a way. That if we want people to know Christ, we're going to have to be a little relatable in a lost and dying world and look for ways that you can connect and relate to people. You know, one of the things that I uh, started doing just, just because it, it was something when they needed, when my kids were playing Little League Baseball, and they just kind of needed dads to step out on the field and to help, you know, call the games. And so, I you know, I did it. And then, and then after my kids moved on from Little League, you know, then, then I was asked, to you want to umpire and get the uniform and the whole deal? So I did that and then went up to, the, you know, Babe Ruth League. And so, and, the, and I'll tell you the reason why I continued to umpire. Not because I just love the game of baseball, but just because it was an awesome way for me to relate to people that otherwise I would never meet. Because, you know, I don't get out much. It's just, you know, you guys. (laughs) And so it was good for me to get, you know, out into the culture and the community and just be able to relate to people. And we have to find ways that we can connect with people on a certain level. And this is what Paul is saying here. Verse 23, he says, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Verse 24 to the end is a very important section. He says this, Do you not know That in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Okay, so here's that. The opening two questions we had, you know, what kind of freedom does a Christian have? And then the second question was, can I misuse my freedom and disqualify myself? And that's how he ends this chapter. Because his point is, you don't want to use your freedom to disqualify yourself. However, and then he makes this comparison of the Christian life to an athlete.
0: All ocean, jump in and you'll find the your connection run towards your new. We hope today's message from the book of 1 Corinthians has blessed you and drawn you closer to Jesus. Pastor Gary has more to share, but this is where we need to end for today. Feel free to read ahead before you join us next time on Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this message again or explore other teachings from Pastor Gary Hamrick, just visit cornerstoneconnection.cc. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can even download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. If you're in the Leesburg area, you're invited to join us for our weekly gatherings at Cornerstone Chapel. Come by on Sunday or Wednesday to spend time in worship, Bible study, and fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You'll be able to find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc or give us a call we can be reached at 703-771-1500. And when you call, please let us know how we can be praying for you. That number again is 703-771-1500. Would you pray for us too? Please pray that we keep our eyes always on the truth of who God is and that we move forward only by His power. Thanks for praying and thanks for tuning in today. Cornerstone Connection.
1: They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got
0: no place to go, but still you know know.
1: you're not.